This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. Welcome back to All the Sins of Wisconsin. I'm Fallon, and I am here with Mims. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, too. It's a little warmer today. That makes me happy. Yeah. It's about I, like 30. I know. <laughs> it's going to be like 60 degrees this weekend, I see. That'll be nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll be stuck inside watching basketball the entire day tomorrow, <laughs> but... <laughs> Just take a, like, a quick walk. Yeah. Sneak outside for a minute. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to have to. I'm going to have to do the same. Yeah. So, So, what do you got for me? Any true crime news? I got some Wisconsin news. Um, The first one is lighthearted and not crime related. Oh, good. Yeah. Just a a little... (laughs) Some joy. Pick me up. Um, On Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021, the oldest completely intact water vessel known in Wisconsin was pulled from Lake Mendota. Yeah. Dated from AD 800, which was centuries before European arrival. So, it was a freaking 1,200-year-old canoe. I saw that. Yeah. It's very cool. I was like, I know that my husband and I being like canoers would be really fascinated and excited about this and then perhaps maybe like the Wisconsin Historical Society and that's it but no I thought it was really cool okay (laughs) yeah I saw it and I was like that's how canoes started like they really just dug it out of a tree right it was just a whole tree and then you just dug out the part for you to sit yep I never realized that before yeah, I think I've seen it in some sort of pilgrim movie, so. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do any research about canoes, but I've seen that in, like, a movie, for sure. I don't know why. That was the first thing I thought when I saw it on Facebook. I was like, oh, that's how they yeah. canoes. It was, like, I can't believe how intact it looked. I mean, it was, like, black and, like, all yeah. weirdly shapen, but it was, nothing was missing, I don't think. I don't think so either. It was fully intact, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And I like that it was before there was colonists here. Yeah. 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 It was really, really cool to see. So there's that. Uh, second, not so lighthearted, true crime related Wisconsin news is about the Eau Claire break in that happened on Wednesday, the 3rd, 2021. A man broke into a woman's residence while she was home. That's, like, my worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. And attempted to do, like, a robbery. So, like, a 
break in trying yeah. to find things. Um, he ended up stabbing her. Oh my god! But she managed to call the police. They got to the residence and then they started like an altercation, and they fatally shot the man. The so, police did. Yes. Okay. Um, and then the woman is okay. She was sent to the hospital for treatment and recovery. It was a really serious stab wound, but at least she is clinging on still. So yeah, that's scary. Yeah, really scary. I I think about that all the time. Like, I, I I'm probably more paranoid than I should be, but I'm just like, I need to be aware uh, if somebody is like creeping in my house. Yeah, <laughs> I think you would hear it. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you're not like, paranoid. Yeah, okay, you should be you should be aware if someone's yeah. creeping in your house. Yes, <laughs> but. You would hear them come in. You lock your doors, right? I, I, okay, so I lock my doors. <laughs> uh-huh. Ask my husband if he's locked the doors. Oh. It's a hit or miss. And I like mm. I have to double check all the time. And mm-hmm. I'm like, did you lock the doors? Mm, I don't know. Maybe. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go check because I'm not about to have somebody just walk on in. Yeah. I My kids can be like that. I always check behind them. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be like... On a 10 for you, because you have how many kids in your home? Seven. Yeah. Coming in and out. That's a lot <laughs> <Yeah>. of checking. <laughs> yeah. And the teenagers don't really care, I don't think. They'd be like, oh, I think, maybe. like Right. So now I just go behind them and check the doors. I feel you. I'm also paranoid to the point that I almost opened the door for the mail delivery person with a gun in my hand because I didn't know who they were. And That's, I was at home alone. You all, and okay, I'm sure yeah. I was listening to some kind of murder right. story or something You're super creepy. On edge. And then I heard somebody at the door because my dogs were barking. Oh, and I right. like, grab my gun. And then yep. I'm like, oh, it's the mailman. Oh, yeah, my mail. That could have been awkward. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because they don't knock since COVID started. The male people stop knocking on the door. They just leave your stuff by the door. And if you find it, you find it. We should swap mail carriers because mine bangs on the door and then really? leaves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then my dog gets really upset. And I, I even had like a, a little sign on the door saying like, please don't. My dogs will bark and yeah. I will be upset. So... They and they still do. Yeah. I, I put it, like, on the glass of my door, and I don't think they come fully around. Oh, okay. So I think they just, like, place it down on the ground and then, like, kind of knock quick and then turn around. Okay. But I was just like, please. Why can't everybody just be like Amazon? Like, I get a message on my phone, your package is on your porch, and then you can go grab it, and you never have to communicate with the world. Right. Yeah, I would <laughs> love that. Nope. I, I get banging, and that's why I said, just let's trade. Yeah. <laughs> so your story about the canoe reminded me in, where was this? Somewhere in Wisconsin. Oh, in Red Cliff, they have a sign that's now in the first dual language sign in Wisconsin. Oh. So it is, I believe it's in Ojibwe. It is from the Red Cliff Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. And I do not know how to say their no- native language. Do you want to try? Um. Yeah. Sure. Native language. It starts as Ga Miskwa Big Gang. Sure. That sounds good. I, I tried really hard. <laughs> you did good. 
so they made that sign is now in both languages, English and their native language. That's awesome. Yeah. And they're going to try to do this in other places for the tribal communities. So I like that Wisconsin's starting to recognize our tribal communities. After how long, though? Like, we were all tribes here. I mean, just... Exactly. All of our cities. Kenosha, Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. Like, come on. Yep. And then the other thing is the McMichael Bryan trial is going on. The people that killed Ahmaud Aubrey, their trial is going on. Okay. And somehow they struck all of the non-white jurors except for one, the defense did. Okay. And the judge is like, yeah, this isn't okay, but there's nothing I can do about it. Oh, that stinks. So they only have one black juror and 11 white jurors. Well, hopefully... They're like you, and race isn't a thing. Like, it's just yeah, you know. They Hopefully, don't they're not like Karen white people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Instead, be a Fallon white person. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm curious to see how the trial goes. The opening arguments were good this morning. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Do you like? How do you follow that? Do you watch it, or do you just kind of? I'm like- following on Instagram. Oh, okay. Okay. Like from Sean King and Lee Merritt. Could you imagine being able to just tune in, like, on, like, your computer or, like, on it, the TV? It might be televised somewhere. <gasps> oh, that's actually really cool. I would yeah. love that. Yeah. I used to... They used to have, like, C-SPAN <clears throat> or something where they would play Trials all day long. Oh. Well, I would love that. I used to watch them. Yeah. I'm a law nerd. That's right up our alley, I yeah. feel like. <laughs> I was just watching um, America's Most Wanted, and it was, like, the newest season. Oh, yeah. So after, like, 30 years of the old host, it's a new host now. Everything Mm -hmm. is, like, super modern. And they did a clip that really freaked me out. It was this lady was in um, the car wash in the stall, and it started. And this man just nonchalantly walked on in opened her car door and dragged her out. And she was like, they were struggling for a good, I want to say like five minutes. And he was like pulling her and pulling her. And then finally he like yanked her out, threw her to the floor and took off with her van in the car wash. That is insane. And I, I literally looked over to Jake and I'm just like, I can't even go get a car wash by myself. Like this is outrageous. It is. It really is. Mm-hmm. Lock your doors as soon as you get well, in your car. Also, that oh, that irritated me. I'm like, how is your car doors not locked? Because he just flung it open. Yeah. And, how, and you could see him walking in. Like, my doors lock automatically, but maybe if she unlocked it to, like, pay or something, and then oh. she wasn't going fast enough for the automatic locks. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But women get in your cars and lock your door immediately like i get in my car and i lock my door because i usually sit and do random stuff for a minute but yeah check your back seat yeah and get in check underneath the car Check underneath the car it's a process yeah it's a whole thing (laughs) it's a whole thing but it's kind of the the world we live in Mm -hmm. so just be your own bodyguard because nobody else is going to do it for you they're not oh and i saw new pepper spray 
Did Ooh. you see the pepper spray that dyes people when you spray it? Oh, that is awesome. It's blue and it lasts for like 48 hours. So that is, if okay. you try to attack someone and you get sprayed with some blue pepper spray, the whole world is going to know everywhere you go for the next two days. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Let's I'll um, send it to you. Um, yeah. Let's um, maybe think about that for a Christmas present for me. So, uh, listeners, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> um. Anything else? What do you got? I think that's all I have okay. for right now. Okay. I'm sure I'll think of something when we're done. Right. <laughs> okay. So I can go ahead. Yeah. You can start it. I am going to do the... Okay. Before I start this, I tried practicing how to pronounce all of these names and words multiple times. So I'm going to do my best. So mm-hmm. if I sound goofy or whatever, it's because I'm just not fluent in this or I don't know what I'm trying to say but okay. I, I'm not good at this Okay, so, so but I'm... I practice <laughs> I know you did <laughs> the Sikh Temple Massacre is what I'm doing this week have you heard of it? I have heard of it <gasps> you have? yeah do you okay like thoroughly? not thoroughly okay. no alright so I'm going to start out off with a quote um, of 2012 U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder. This incident was an act of terrorism, an act of hatred, a hate crime. Mm -hmm. So that's a good little recap of what is to come. So on August 5th, 2012, regular attendees of the Gurdwara Sikh Temple in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, gathered for their weekly worship. Uh, the temple was preparing for Langar, a Sikh communal meal. And here's a little bit of background to the Sikh religion for those who are unfamiliar. I was unfamiliar, so I, re- I wanted to just have a little bit of... Yeah, that'll be helpful. Because okay. I don't know a lot about it either. Me neither. And I found out that Sikhism is the world's fifth most popular religion in the world. Okay. Which was pretty cool. Didn't know that. Yeah. Um, Sikhism emerged more than 500 years ago in Punjab, in what is now known as India. Its founder was Guru Nanak, a non-practicing Hindu who was against rituals and praying to idols, which I didn't know that either. Um, It is a faith that believes in equality and service to others. Uh, The president of the Guru Nanak mission of Atlanta is quoted saying, everyone is the same. There is no distinction and no caste system. One I like of that. Yeah, me too. I'm just like, yes, as it should be. Everybody's right. the same. Yeah. Unless you're a monster. Right. Then we'll talk about you. Yeah. As we, as we do <laughs> on here. <laughs> um, one of their core beliefs is that doing good deeds is important for you to be with God after death. Uh, Sikhs believe that if you don't live a life full of good deeds, you will be reborn and repeat the cycle of life and death. Which I'm like, it's kind of like a reincarnation, I believe. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, So I'm going to jump back into the story. Um, So that morning at the temple was unlike any other. At 1025 a.m., a 911 dispatcher received a call from the Sikh temple stating there was an emergency. Police quickly responded and found themselves in a terrorist situation. On arrival, the police officers saw a gunman 
coming down the driveway. They engaged the gunmen, which triggered a shootout between the responding officers and the terrorists. The gunman during this shootout wounded an officer and was wounded in the stomach by a gunshot himself. Authorities released an audio recording of this incident during which the first responding officer, Lieutenant Brian Murphy, was shot by the gunman. It contains the words, I have someone walking down out the driveway towards me, man with a gun, white t-shirt, followed by the sun, the sound of gunfire, which is just could so you, scary. I know. In September 2012, authorities released video recordings taken by squad cars during the incident, including the moments when Lieutenant Murphy was shot and the gunman being shot by another officer. Lieutenant Murphy was shot 15 times at close range, including once in the face and once in the back of the head. Oh, wow. That man is like... I, I don't even have words for the things that he endured. Like, 15 times. Yeah. That is horrendous. He was discharged from the hospital on August 2020, or sorry, 2020, 22. Why can't I say that right? <laughs> 2012, uh, Seeks for Justice, a New York-based group, pledged a $10,000 award to Lieutenant Murphy to seek residents of Yuba City, California, donated about 10 a hundred thousand to Lieutenant Murphy and praise his ba- uh, bravery, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Initial reports said that the gunman had died from being shot by police officers at the scene, but the FBI later clarified that after being shot by an officer, he died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head, meaning that the coward killed himself. Of course. At the scene. The officers entered the temple and saw the massacre with their own eyes. The scene was a bloodbath, and soon a picture of the of events that occurred that morning started to come together. The gunmen entered the temple early that morning, armed with a 9mm Springfield XD semi-automatic pistol. Attendees ran for their lives in the chaos, rushing outside and locking themselves in bathrooms. The gunmen sprayed shots across the temple and fatally gunned down six temple attendees during their worship, five men and one woman. Another critically injured temple attendee was Baba Punjab Singh, a Sikh priest who was shot in the head. He was left partially paralyzed from the wound for more than seven years and died on March 2nd, 2020, making the total fatalities to be seven since he died due to his injuries that he sustained during this event. Uh, the victims were Paramajit Kuar, age 41, Satwant Singh Kaleka, age 65, the founder of Gurdwara Prakish Singh, age 39, Sita Singh, age 41, Ranjit Singh, age 49, and Suveg Singh, age 84. All of the male victims wore turbans as part of their Sikh faith. Four of the victims were Indian nationals, while the rest were Americans. Three men were transported to the Florida Hospital in Milwaukee, including one of the responding officers. The Joint Terrorism Task Force investigated the crime scene, along with Oak Creek Police Chief John Edwards, 
Chief Edwards stated that his force treated the incident as a domestic terrorism incident in the beginning stages of, of this investigation, which how else would you yeah. investigate that? And Oak Creek is so quiet. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I, okay, I shouldn't say yeah, because I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Oak Creek is a quiet suburb. In that, where is that located? Between Milwaukee and Racine. Okay, okay. Yeah, so right outside of Milwaukee. Okay. But it's it's a quiet area. I was going to say because... I'm sure they're not, like, they're not prepared for this kind of... I, I mean, I, they're I prepared, but they're not experienced. They don't see this on a regular basis. Yeah. Right. So Oak Creek police ended up handing the investigation over to the FBI due to the nature of the case. And I, I think that because they don't deal with terroristic cases yeah. like that, then they're like, whoa, I don't know what to do here. Yeah. And the FBI probably wanted to know if there's going to be more. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. They also investigated possible ties to white supremacist groups and other racial motivations. However, the FBI did not believe that anyone else was involved in the attack, and they were not made aware of any past threats made against the temple. They concluded that Wade acted on, oops, so now you know who it is, (laughs) on his own accord. I personally believe that he had people that supported him and maybe helped plan it. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's just like on a 10 to act that way. But people do act on their own all the time. Like the bomber and the yeah. Boston bomber. Yeah. But the uh, ideology comes from somewhere, right? Oh, people for don't sure. just wake up filled with hate. It came from somewhere. So we're going to go into that now. Okay. Um, we're going to explore the terrorist. Wade Michael Page, age 40, was later identified as the gunman. Wade was born and raised in Colorado on November 11th, 1971. He served in the U.S. Army from April 1992 through October 1998. While in the Army, Wade learned to repair the Hawk missile system before becoming a psychological operations specialist. A psychological operations specialist is a term used to denote any action which is practiced mainly by psychological methods with the aim of evoking a planned psychological reaction in other people. That's a mouthful. So, like, interrogations and stuff? It didn't really give me much, and I'm just like, I that doesn't offer any clarity of what you were I just, like, got a picture of, like, you know, the evil interrogation. I feel like this man should have not been on any interrogations because... It's kind of interesting that he worked with other people in psychology, and then he's a maniac. Yeah. It's all weird. He later on was demoted and... Re- okay, so there. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, and received a general discharge for, quote, patterns of misconduct, including being drunk while on duty and going absent without leave. Hmm. Mm-hmm. After his discharge, Page returned to Denver, Colorado from 2000 through 2007, working as a truck driver. Um but was fired after receiving a citation for impaired driving due to drinking. And it seemed like failure in drinking was a common theme in his life. Yeah, it's not good to try to drive a semi while drinking alcohol. That, that is horrific. What makes you think that you can do that? I don't know. You should, I mean, you shouldn't drink, drink and drive any vehicle. No, but, but that's your job. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just don't drink and drive, please. Call an Uber. Yeah. There's taxis, Ubers, Lyft. Like, come on. 
Yeah. Call your grandma. <laughs> you know she's not drinking. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He later became a part of the American white supremacist and relocated to Kudahe, Wisconsin. Is that how you say that? Kudahe. Kudahe? Mm-hmm. Okay. According to his neighbors, Wade lived alone, rarely left his apartment, and avoided eye contact with them. So I got another red flag for you. Yeah. Red flag number 10. If they avoid eye contact, always retract. Yes. You like that? Yes. <laughs> Wade has known ties to white supremacists and neo-Nazi groups and was reportedly a member of the Hammerskins, which sounds disgusting. It does sound disgusting. Where do they come up with these stupid white supremacist groups all have the stupidest names? Hammerskins. What's another one? There was Skinheads. The- yeah, and Which then I, there was the Proud Boys, but then, like, a whole bunch of gay gross. men, like, hijacked their name during <gasps> the summer when they were doing, like, all their terrible stuff. So they hijacked it, and they made, like, all these TikToks with, like, hashtag Proud Boys and, like, leather. I love that. And I love it that. was so good. Yes. Yeah. We all need those type of Proud Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, a former friend described him as a loner and said he had talked about an impending racial holy war. So there was definitely signs that something was going to happen. People were just like, oh, yeah, that weird guy. Yeah, like that guy who was always racially talking about race wars and being weird and not looking at us. That guy? Yeah. Would have never guessed. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He joined the white power music scene in 2000, which I didn't know there's that was a, a thing. That's what I was just going to say. There's a white power music scene. That yes. has to be the worst music ever made. Okay. I made a comment. Hold on. <laughs> You're like on point today. You really are. Okay. So becoming involved in several neo-Nazi bands, their music must have been really fucking scary. That was my note. <laughs> yeah. For real. Scary and terrible. Because, right. Like, how, I I'm don't... just imagining people screaming about how great white people are. Right. Like, we have white skin. <laughs> like, yes. okay, great. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> he had one, he had at one point founded the band End Apathy in 2005 and played in the band's Definite Hate and Blue Eyed Devils, considered racist white power bands by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you couldn't tell by the music he listens to, and you couldn't tell, you could definitely tell by the tattoos linked to white supremacist organizations on his arms and upper body that he was a fucked up racist prick. On July 28th, 2012, Wade took his racist bullshit to a whole new level and started to formulate a plan. He premeditated the massacre by first going to Shooter's Shop about eight miles southwest of Milwaukee and West Allis, Wisconsin. Kevin Nugent, the owner of the shop, stated he did a background check on Wade and cleared him. And he also stated all the proper channels for authorization were followed. Nothing we could have done would have stopped this. Um, Wade legally purchased a Springfield Armory XDM with three 19 round ammunition magazines and paid 650 in cash for that. I have one of those. Oh, Nice. <laughs> so I'm going to go into what happened after after the massacre. Um, I don't believe that Wade accomplished the overall scheme he intended. 
I don't believe it caused other people to hate or fear sick religious believers. Right. I personally believe it only caused people to support the Sikh community even more. It caused a remembrance of those who love who lost their their lives and an unveiling of all the work to be done to eliminate the deep seated racism in this country. Yeah. This case caused a public to unite, which even included Wade's former stepmother who apologized to the sick the Sikh victims, which Aww. I so she divorced her husband who was Wade's dad. Mm-hmm. I definitely just sneezed. <laughs> um, so they were divorced uh, for like nine years, and then this happened, and okay. she still like responded not on his behalf, but like right, like I've been associated with him before, kind of thing. Right, right. So I'm interested to know if she also experienced a lot of, you know, his racist traits. If you can call it that. Yeah, like, if she knew he was a psycho, she's like, I'm sorry, because yeah, I made this kid. He right. was evil. Well, and I think, like, maybe the father was like that, too, because obviously it came from somewhere. Yeah. So, it even involved President Barack Obama, um, who offered his condolences, calling the Sikh community a part of our broader American family. And I'm actually going to read the uh, the White House statement. Um, it's called Honoring the Victims of the Tragedy in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, a proclamation. As a mark of respect for the victims of the senseless acts of violence perpetrated on August 5th, 2012 in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, by the authority vested in me as President of the United States by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, I hereby order that the flag of the United States shall be flown at half staff as the White House at the White House and upon all public buildings and grounds at all the military posts and naval stations and at all naval vessels of the federal government in the District of Columbia and throughout the United States and its territories and possessions until sunset, August 10th, 2012. I also direct that the flag shall be flown at half staff for the same length of time at all United States embassies, legations, consular offices, and other facilities abroad, including all military facilities and naval vessels and stations. And witness whereof I have Hereunto set my hand at the sixth day of August in the year of our Lord, 2012, and of the independence of the United States of America, the 237th Barack Obama. Uh, additionally, the former president um, called for soul searching on to reduce violence. This That whole statement honestly just warmed my heart. The fact that he was like, we're in, we're here for you. Yeah. Uh, Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker and other officials also issued statements of sympathy for the victims of the shooting and their families. Nancy Powell, the United States ambassador to India, attended pri- prayers for the victims at Gudwara, Bangla, 
Sahib in New Delhi. Indian Prime Minister Mohan Singh said that the attack being at a Sikh temple added to the pain and stated that India stood in support of all peace-loving Americans who condemned the shooting. There were vigils as well as some protests against the United States by Sikhs in India after they heard about what happened here. On August 9th, India, Indian members of parliament in New Delhi joined ranks in parliament to offer condolences to families of the victims. On August 23rd, former First Lady Michelle Obama visited the affected Sikh temple in an effort to offer her support, which I never knew about. No, I don't think I remember that part of it either. Jadhahar Jiani Gurbachan Singh the highest ranking priest within the Sikh faith called the shooting a security lapse by the U.S. government and recommended that Sikhs in the United States adopt all possible security measures at their temples. After the shooting, temple leaders met with Wisconsin leaders and a terrorism task force to design a new security system for the 17,000 square foot building. The total cost of all the security measures amounted to 75000 The safety modifications resembled a military base, which... Oh, it's it, sad that it has to be like that. I People know. just want to go and worship in peace, and... Yeah. That's yeah. terrible. Some of the modifications were 24-camera installations, broadcasting footage that goes directly to the local police department, reinforced windows with that withstands bullets new safe rooms that have the capacity to hide roughly 500 worshipers, a buzzer system for entrance, and a full-time security guard was hired. That is... That's serious security. Yeah. Additionally, a Gudwara security toolkit was compiled. The toolkit includes information on resources and training provided by federal and state government agencies to help places of worship, including... Gudwaras minimize the risk of attacks. It is just so sad that it has to come to temples having to enact and impose security measures like this, but it's the unfortunate world that we live in. Yeah, because could you imagine if that happened like at a local Catholic church, like how people would react? Right, they'd be like, we shouldn't have to do this. And yep. <laughs> but, you know, like it, it's no big deal to be Catholic. It's no big deal to be Christian. But if it's any other religion here, it's like Mm -hmm. you're a foreigner. You are not welcomed. You're different. You're whatever. How can you not praise Jesus? Right. It's because we're not the same. And that's okay. And you don't have to like it, but you have to respect it. Yeah, exactly. Well said. Thank you. Oak Creek Sikh residents said the incident has shocked their community, which, like you were saying, like, that is just probably the most unheard of thing to deal with there. Yeah, because now you got to go back and how do you, like, the trauma and that's your worship center. There were kids there, too. Yeah. Um, Many Sikh Americans did not approve of the protests in India against the United States and strongly condemned the actions such as flag burnings done by the protesters. 
U.S.-based Sikh community groups pledge assistance to the victims and their families and urge Sikh Americans to organize interfaith vigils. Many other Americans held candlelight vigils and in support of the Sikh community and dignitaries, and even Governor Walker was in attendance. Congressman Paul Ryan introduced a bill in Congress condemning the tragedy, which stated in the House, quote, condemns a senseless act. <laughs> On September 19, 2012, a congressional hearing addressed hate crimes in response to the tragedy before the Senate. The Senate Judiciary Committee's Subcommittee on the Constitution, Civil Rights, and Human Rights convened by Senator Dick Durbin. In the aftermath of the shooting, Amar Kaleka, the son of Setwant Singh Kaleka, one of the fatal victims, became involved in politics supporting gun control and legislation to reduce hate crimes. Another example of someone using tragedy to create positivity that reaches a vast majority of people. Oak Creek Police Chief John Edwards stated, I don't know why and I don't know that we'll ever know because he, when he died, that died with him, what his motive was or what his thinking. But we all know what his motive was, his dark, twisted and illogical reason for taking the lives of Parmanjit, Satwant, Prakash, Sita, Ranjit, Baba Bunjab and Suveg can be explained by the organizations he was a part of and the music he enjoyed and the tattoos that covered his body. It was hate. It was ignorance. It was fear of people that looked different from him. It was a small mindedness of all racist people alike. Unfortunately, the justice system did not claim his life as it should have, but I have a feeling that he is paying the price for massacring the innocent lives that he took that should have continued on without interference, along with the families and the Sikh community that this massacre had a ripple effect on. Hopefully Wade was judged in accordance to Sikh beliefs. Doing good deeds is important for you to be with God after death. And he would for sure not be seeing God after what he did. And that is the story of the Gudwara Sikh Temple Massacre in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Good job. Thank I'm you. surprised he didn't leave like a manifesto. I always expect Ooh. like a crazy like 300 page, <laughs> <laughs> like written on the walls. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm surprised too cuz that's some Hitler shit. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when it's just a quiet group of people I know living their life after re- well not that I ever thought negatively against Sikh um believers I actually didn't really know anything about them but after right. reading what they their core beliefs and what they live by I'm like what peaceful people yeah and it always amazes me that people get so angry at people just because they look different or they have different beliefs read they're just peaceful yeah. like learn about it i was Do gonna say some... pick up a book yeah read an article just yeah. go on their website and just like and if you still hate it for some reason like okay that's perfectly fine you don't have to like it yeah. but i'm sure if you read about something that you're unfamiliar with to educate yourself it might just enlighten you it mm-hmm. might just like 
prove you wrong. And hey, that's okay. You don't yeah. have to be right all the time. You yeah. people can change your mind, and that's not a crime. That's not that doesn't make you any less of a person if you're like, huh, I was wrong. Right. That makes you a better person. Exactly. Like if, if you go ahead. If people took the time to look into other religions, mm-hmm. they all have a lot of the same core beliefs, right. the same morals underneath. Like they might call their higher powers different, different. names, yeah. but it's got so many similar themes throughout yeah. each different religion. And if people just focus on like the similarities, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have all these problems. And what makes me mad is like, okay. You don't support this religion that you know nothing about, but you support murdering people. You support terrorizing people. You you support that, and then you you call yourself a religious person, a Mm -hmm. God fearing person. No, yeah, that doesn't make you a good person. No, good people don't do that. No, definitely not. Rant over. Okay, today I am discussing the case of a missing woman, Becky Marie Marzel, and her pre-married name. Why can't I think of the word? Uh, maiden. <laughs> maiden name. Like, I just blanked out. Her maiden name was Kramer. Okay. Okay, she went missing from Milwaukee on December 15th, 2003. At the time of her disappearance, she was 23 years old. She would now be 41. And I'm going to give you her description from the Charlie Project website. She's a Caucasian female, blonde hair, blue eyes. She may be using the last name Kramer. She wears eyeglasses with oval-shaped silver wire rims. She has a dog bite scar on her left wrist and scarring on both ears from the tubal operation. Her nose has been previously fractured. She has a tattoo on her back, possibly of a broken heart with a red rose through it. Her ears are double pierced and her tonsils have been removed. I don't know why they tell you that. Like, you can tell that when you see somebody, but they include that in the description. Okay. So on the evening of Becky's disappearance, she had been out with a female friend, or maybe two, depending on which story you read. Okay. At a ball club bar called Conversations in the 3500 block of West Villard Avenue. While her and her friends were at the bar, Becky's boyfriend was repeatedly calling and arguing with her because he wanted her to come home. Red flag, red flag. Yeah. And Becky eventually turned her phone off because she was trying to kick it. Yeah, I mean, you're at Conversations. You mm-hmm. want to have a conversation. It's a fun name for a bar. I literally <laughs> thought that. I'm like, what a good name. Right? So let her have her girls' night out. Yeah. So eventually, her friend dropped her off at the house that she was sharing with her living boyfriend, Carl A. Rogers III. Her friend reported that Becky waved to her from the upstairs window to let her know she had made it inside safe because it was an upper lower duplex. That would be the last time anyone would see her. Shit. Yeah. She was not officially reported missing until June of 2004, despite multiple attempts from Becky's family to report her missing. So as you can imagine... This has caused a lot of difficulties in nailing down a timeline or finding evidence to try to determine what happened when she disappeared. And if you're wondering why the police didn't want to take a missing persons report, I was right there with you. I was going to say, 
what's happening. Yeah. Like, there's more to this story. Yeah. So, as is usually the case, there's much more to the story <laughs> from the night of the disappearance. Yeah. So, I'm going to go back in time a little bit, and then the reaction from the police might make a little more sense. Okay. Although... I don't know. Sometimes in the story, I love them, and sometimes I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. I think I have a guess, but I'm going to let you play yeah, out. It's a roller coaster. Okay. <laughs> so at 20 years old, Becky, then Becky Kramer, moved out of her family home to marry Mark- Michael Marzo, a family friend, which I thought was a weird way to describe him. Yeah, that seems like it's your, like, like, dad's like your dad's friend. Or, friend. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I thought. I'm like, ooh, yeah. don't do that. That was like the connotation I got to. I don't know if the article writer meant it that way, but that's how I, that was the first picture I got in my mind, too. You insinuated that, so I'm going to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone was incredibly happy about this marriage, but Becky's only 20. So yeah. this happiness did not last long as real life problems began to come in between the pair. Mm. In an article from Media Milwaukee, Becky's mother, Karen, stated that Becky was aggravated with Michael's lack of ambition. Mm. Becky was working at Menards to support the pair, and he was spending most of his time playing video games. So I'm not sure how old he was, but if he was in his 20s too, that sounds pretty typical. I mean, my husband's, like, 29, and he plays video games. Not every day. But I mean, he doesn't, like, if you're at work, he's not at home playing video games. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's it's a like, whole different yeah. level of video games. Like, no. I have no problem with video games. No. I actually kind of like it when I want to be left alone. But <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yup. <laughs> so, Michael would end up filing for a divorce in 2002, mm. but the couple had split earlier than that. And Michael had a different version of events. I'm sure he did. He stated that he believed Becky had been cheating on him and she liked to smoke marijuana. Oh, okay. That was why he wanted a divorce. So he sounds a little judgy. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Keep your judgments. Besides the cheating. Yeah. Cheating's not okay. No. So through her job at Menards, Becky met Carl Rogers. And Carl was 12 years older than Becky. So they did tell us that this time. Okay. And he had already been divorced and had two children. Hmm. And I can imagine her family was a little bit skeptical about this relationship because of the age difference, the divorce, even though she just got divorced too. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. But Becky was glad to have a man that treated her differently than her ex-husband. I mean, that's what matters. Mm -hmm. If it's good. If it's a better treatment. I mean, he was taking her places, showing her all the things, buying her all the gifts. Mm, I do love gifts. I do too, but it sounds like a red flag to okay. me. Like, Could we just be a red met flag. and I'm going to take you everywhere and buy you all the things. In an ideal world, that <laughs> it's a green flag for me. <laughs> right away, I was like, he's bad news. <laughs> and I'm just like, yes. <laughs> I might be jaded. <laughs> After a few short months of dating, Carl asked Becky to move in with him, and she agreed to, and she moved from by her family in Oconomowoc to Milwaukee. And after Becky moved to Milwaukee, she kind of got a little bit more distant with her family. She stopped coming home weekly for Sunday dinners, only coming home maybe once a month. And she never brought Carl home to see her family, Hmm. although she would sometimes bring his son. Becky's mom said that after a while, Becky started showing up with bruises on her arms and face and then Hmm. eventually stopped coming. And Karen, Becky's mom, reports never meeting Carl 
not knowing his address or his phone number. Wow. What? And I swear, if my kids ever in life try this, I will follow them. Yeah. I have no problem doing that. No. No. I will put a GPS tracker under their car. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tag along. <laughs> we'll record it for you, too. Right. <laughs> And then March 31st, 2003, Becky showed up on her parents' doorstep, black and blue, with a chipped tooth. Oh, my God. So her parents took her to the hospital, and then they brought her home with them, and they begged her not to go back to Carl, but she did. As as they do. The Kramers, like, dealt with her not wanting to go back, or not wanting to stay with them and going back, and they didn't really know what to do, so they went to see a counselor. Mm. Which I thought was a good step. That's a green flag right there. Yeah. But the counselor, I feel like, gave them bad advice. Oh, Jesus. So the counselor advised them to set ground rules in order for Becky to decide on her own that she wanted to come home. Okay. Which is basically like the tough love method. So it's kind of like an almost like intervention type of method. Yeah. So not long after meeting with the counselor, Becky called her mom after the parents met with the counselor, Becky didn't go. But mm. long, not long after this meeting that her parents had with the counselor, the first, like, test came up for the parents. Yeah. And Becky called her mom and said her car broke down on her way to work and she needed a ride. Mm-hmm. And Karen told her she was only going to come and pick her up if she left Carl. Mm. And Becky got mad and was like, no, not happening. She hung up the phone on her. <sighs> so... A few days after this, Karen starts receiving calls from Carl. So apparently the not having a phone number didn't go both ways. Carl had the mom's number. Wow. He starts calling like, I don't know where Becky is. Do you know where Becky is? I want Becky to come home. Mm. And I'm guessing Carl thought like she was done and she went home to her parents. Yeah. But she didn't. Oh, God. So... Carl kept calling Karen, and after a few days, he told her that he believed that Becky was in Miami working as an exotic dancer, and he was going to go there and get her. He's like, she ran away. She wants to dance. I don't approve of this. I'm going to get her. Boyfriend said that or mom said that? Boyfriend told, Ew. Boyfriend told mom that. Ew. Like, you don't have to approve <laughs> shit. She can do whatever she wants to do. She yes. wants to leave your ass. She can leave your ass. Yes, exactly. If she feels like she needs to do that in Miami, shaking her ass, then that's what she needs to do. Yeah, let her shake her ass. For real. So then Karen did not believe Carl. She's like, nah, I think you're lying. Right. And she didn't believe Becky would leave without telling her. Yeah. So she went to the police in Oconomowoc and tried to report her missing. But they wouldn't let her at first because Becky was an adult. And Mm. like we said, she's free to go wherever she wants. So they're like, she can go where she wants. Sure. But. Karen was not letting it go. As you will see with Karen throughout the story, she does not let things go. Good. I kind of, I really respect <laughs> that. So she kept calling until they got the FBI involved. Ooh. So an FBI named, agent named Eric Miller began looking for Becky in Miami, and he eventually did locate her. Oh, really? At, at a club called Gold Rush. And Becky told, reportedly told him she was there voluntarily, mm. and she wasn't speaking to her parents because she hated them. Oh, no. Yeah. So Karen continued to try and call her, and Becky continued to ignore her calls. Oh. Then in August of 2003, Becky came back to Milwaukee. Apparently, the Miami life wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Mm. 
So she moved back and she was staying with a friend, Lisa Randall, and occasionally staying with Carl and occasionally staying with the friend who had reportedly taken her to Florida, which is either Jamar or Jamal Allen. Okay. I see two different names. I don't think anybody really knows who she was with in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. So fast forward to that was August of 2003. She moved back. Well, fast forward to January of 2004. Karen realizes no one else has heard from Becky. Like, mm-hmm. she knows Becky's not talking to her, but Becky was still talking to other people. Right. So she knew she was okay. Right. But now it's January. Nobody's heard from her. So she goes back to the police. Okay. Becky's missing again. They're like, whatever, lady. Right. Like, we, like she doesn't want to talk to you. That's yeah, probably what they thought. Yeah. She told us she hates you. She doesn't want to talk to you. Right. So they don't want to file a report. They're like, we're not filing a report. She's an adult. They believe Becky once again took off on her own free will. And the mom's mad because she's not talking to her family. Right. But Karen did not let this stop her from looking for her daughter. So she obtained Carl's address from Becky's friend, Lisa, and went to the neighborhood to speak to neighbors and plaster flyers everywhere. And I mean literally everywhere, like hundreds of flyers. Mm-hmm. She would go out at like 3 or 4 in the morning, just plastering flyers everywhere around mm-hmm. his neighborhood. Yeah. Finally, in October, so we all have gone this whole 10 months now. Jesus. The Milwaukee Police Department takes a report from her and files the missing person report. And while she's there, she told them she thought Carl sent Becky to Florida again. But I was confused why she said that yeah. because last time she was with a different man when she went to Florida. And he called her saying, where is she? Yeah. So the police apparently not wanting to deal with this back and forth. They're like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. They put Karen and Carl in a room together. Oh, no. They're like, we're going to straighten this out. So Karen told Carl that she thought he did something to Becky. Like, I think you killed my daughter. Mm. And he denied it. One article says he denied it. One article is like, he said, that bitch wasn't worth my time. You don't say that. Yeah. And then Carl told the police that two black men had taken Becky when she arrived home that night in December. And that he had received a threatening call from one of them stating they would damage his home and his red car if he did not stop pursuing Becky. Hmm. So I'm like, if... Men come in your home and steal your girlfriend. Don't you think you would call the police? Right. Like, I'm not big on police. I generally handle my problems myself. But if somebody came in and kidnapped my husband. Right. I'd, <laughs> I'd would be like, A, you need to find him. This is a serious yeah. situation. B, I didn't do anything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Because if I don't call, you're going to think it was me. As, it was not me. Yeah, no, no. I had nothing to do with this. Yeah. That's a really good point. Karen, not feeling encouraged by the police, I don't know why, (laughs) decided to handle things on her own and hire a private investigator. So it sounds like the first private investigator was terrible. He got nowhere and left the family more frustrated. So eventually she found a new private investigator, Kevin Kaiser. Kaiser was able to obtain Becky's phone records and determined she had not made a call since that night in December when she was out with her friends. So that was the last time her phone was used. He then found out that Carl had received parking tickets in front of a funeral home owned by his uncle. 
on the morning following Becky's disappearance. That's what Becky's mom, Karen, says. The police said it was not Carl Rogers III's vehicle. It was Carl Rogers II's vehicle, his dad. And that the funeral home used that Suburban as a hearse sometimes. So it wasn't odd for it to be out there. Ew. Yeah. Like you drive it after that. Ew, no. I don't know. That whole story was strange to me. So the police finally conducted a search of Carl's home in May of 2005, where they reportedly found blood, which it turned out to not be human. But Karen says that they found blood and bone in his home and that it was Becky's. And the police were like, no, it wasn't. What made her, that's, yeah, what made her think that? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Maybe she didn't want to believe it wasn't Becky's. Yeah. It depends on, like, whose reporting of the story that you follow, which side of this story you end up on. Okay. Which is very interesting to me when I was reading it. I was like, if I read this story, I'm totally... 100% 100% with Karen. Like, yeah. let's do this. But sure. if I read, like, there's a vigilante story, mm. and some of Karen's methods are problematic. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. We're going to get you, more into yeah. that. <laughs> so, Karen felt like the police still believed Becky had probably just left and went to Florida again, mm-hmm. despite the police said, like, this, we're acting like this is a homicide case. But she's like, I don't believe them. I think they think she's in Florida. So it's a, a big, like, communication issue between Karen and the police. Yeah. So the Milwaukee Police Department has a very different version of events. They stated they spent hundreds of hours investigating Becky's disappearance. Like, they did a secret John Doe hearing. They were doing these searches. What? Like, Okay. And she's like, they haven't done anything. Yeah, but she doesn't see everything that's being done. Exactly. And I think that can be really frustrating. When you can't see what's going on behind the scenes, you feel as if nothing is going on. Yeah. But I've seen cases with John Doe investigations and stuff before. Sometimes you can't talk about it publicly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the police even excavated a section of Carl's basement floor. Holy crap. Because her private investigator had received information that Becky could be buried there. They didn't find anything. Mm -hmm. And then... Karen and Kaiser looked further into the uncle's funeral homes. They confirmed that none of them had a crematorium, but they found three people that had been buried from the Milwaukee funeral home around the time of her disappearance. So Karen's mind is like, my daughter got buried with one of these other people. Oh, my God. Yeah. She believed this to the point that somehow she convinced the DA to exhume two out of the three people. Karen has some, like, power. Karen is... Yeah, she's tenacious. (laughs) Yeah, she is. She's something. (laughs) I mean, if I was, if I wanted somebody on my side, I feel like I'd pick that Karen. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, these are kind of Karen things to do. (laughs) Very true. Like, I will get what (laughs) I I want. calling the manager. Yeah. Let me call the manager, which is the DA. (laughs) Exactly. God. But she did have to pay for them, the exhumations. Oh, and they I did would assume not so. find anything. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, so that's where it becomes problematic because now there's two families that just had to watch their loved ones get oh, dug up. Yeah. 
So I don't like that. No, me neither. But I understand. But <laughs> I still don't like it. <laughs> so like I said, she's quite tenacious. Yeah. She even called herself a media whore in one interview. Because she has been, she's been um, featured in Marie Claire. She's been on 2020. Uh-huh. She was on Dateline. Oh, wow. She's been in like all the local, like every Milwaukee thing. Yeah. She'll probably eventually find out about this and listen. You're right. It. Right? She'll be like, um, I don't know what she'll say, but. <laughs> she's like, I do like to call the manager. <laughs> And she even got this group of 40 to 50 people together that would call Carl every year on Becky's birthday and, like, (laughs) leave messages and tell him to wish Becky a happy birthday. Oh, my God. She was stalking him. I was going to say. Everywhere he went, she was following him. She was, like, leaving. Her daughter liked Winnie the Pooh. She was leaving, like, these Winnie the Pooh drawings on his windshield. Wow, that is Really creepy. She was doing the most. Yeah. I'd yeah. say. Mm-hmm. And then that leads to the next problematic portion. On October 5th, 2007, Carl ended his life and left oh. a note stating that he did not kill that girl and he didn't know what it would take. And I don't know if it was a note or a voice memo. I think it was a voice memo, but one thing is that it was a note. He said, I didn't kill that girl, and I don't know what it would take to get anyone to believe me. I wouldn't kill that girl, or I didn't kill that girl. Like, yeah. you were in a relationship with her. I didn't kill Becky. I didn't... Get, you don't yeah. just say that girl. Yeah, that part was weird to me. And his stepfather, um, Jeffrey Stemper, said there was never any evidence that Carl killed Becky and that he spent years dealing with harassment from Karen and other people that she directed to harass him. Which is true. Yeah. Well, like, the harassment. Yeah. And I'm not even going to get into, like, all of the stuff that was going on with him and Karen because I don't know what's true and what's not. But I'm going to link the articles okay. if other people want to read, like, the vigilante article about her. Good call. Because I don't want to just badmouth her because I understand her yeah. drive. Yeah. M- not necessarily the methods, but the drive. I, I don't recommend leaving, like, drawings and, like, having hordes of people calling. No. But I do understand. I also would have changed my phone number. Yeah, like, why didn't he just block them? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Just a lot of weird things Mm -hmm. in the story. Yeah. So, for Karen, Carl's still the number one suspect. She believes for sure that he killed her daughter. And she doesn't believe that her actions played any part in his suicide. She believes he just wanted to have control until the end. Jesus. So, in addition to searching for her daughter, Karen now goes to jails and prisons and tries to help reform men who have been violent to women and children in the past. She tells them about Becky and shares stories and images from her childhood in an attempt to get them to realize how their actions affect others. And she also has assisted other persons with missing family members trying to track them down. And these families appear appreciative, but... She, like, has pissed off police everywhere she's went Okay, with her tactics. She's, like, interfered with investigations. Oh, no, you can't do that. But the missing people's families are like, yeah, she's the one you call because she will do anything. Oh. So, 
No. You gotta decide which side you fall on in this one. Yeah. And for Becky, I don't know. It seems like the answers are just not there because Karen has even had Carl's yard dug up because there's some kind of like bunker in the yard and she thought that Becky was in there after she wasn't in the basement. She wasn't in the coffins. She thought he she was in this bunker. Yeah. And she paid these people to come and dig up the yard. Was there a bunker? There was a bunker with nothing in it. Oh, that's still No, creepy. they did find bones, but they were not human. It was like he buried his dog or somebody oh. Somebody at one point in time had buried an animal. They think it was probably a dog. Oh, right, right. But there's no leads. Yeah. Carl was the only suspect who's ever been named. I don't know if they have other things. The official missing persons, like if you go on the missing persons on the Department of Justice for Wisconsin, it says she's missing and she might be in Miami. Okay. But the Milwaukee police have said they treated it like a homicide. Right. So I don't know. I I would assume that if she's seen her mom on 2020 and like on all these things, she would have came home and been like, hey, I'm here. You need to stop. I don't Maybe. think. She, I don't think. Unless she's she really missing. hates her mom. Right. But then she's like, act, well, I'm not going to say acting a fool, but she's like going and like just making this huge ordeal which any mother would yeah for sure and i'd be like dude i just don't want to talk to you right now calm down yeah yeah i would do that too right yeah i wish that adults that did want to go missing like when she went to miami the first time i feel like you could just answer the phone and be like mom i left i don't want to come home i don't want to talk to you but i am okay yeah Stop calling the FBI. Yeah. I'm trying to shake my ass. (laughs) (laughs) You're killing my vibe when the FBI agents in the club. (laughs) And you're just like trying to get some work out here and FBI agents are coming in, blowing up your spot. Yeah. And Karen said she wasn't dancing, that she was bartending. She's like, she wasn't dancing. She was only 5'3". I'm not sure what that has to do with being a dancer. What the hell does that even mean? Short girls can dance. Yes, they can. (laughs) There's not a height requirement to be a dancer. No, this isn't America's Next Top Model, okay? No, there's no height requirement. There's no weight requirement. There's no nothing. There's something for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) So, I would imagine she's dead, too. Yeah, I mean... This radio silence is just, I don't I mean, it's been going on 20 years now. Yeah. I mean, and for her to just never come back and say, like, hey, mom, I'm here. Yeah. Or friends, hey, friends, I'm here. That's just something yeah. happened to her. Yeah. She never picked up her last paycheck. She hasn't used her social security number. She wow. hasn't used her phone. Yeah. So unless she got a whole new identity. Which I feel like is way too much to do just to, like, run away from your life or from your mom mom. yeah that's too much to do yeah so yeah oh man that was a doozy right it was Mm -hmm. some there's a lot of twists and turns i was like this is then when i read the vigil i'm gonna put the vigilante article in the show notes if people want want to read about karen's i'm sure they'll be interested activities yeah 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 all right you did a great job thank you Mm mm-hmm 
Anything else today? Oh, my friend texted me after listening to our last episode. It's Lake Lanier. Oh, yep. That's what it is. Yep. As soon as she said that, I was just like, oh, yeah. You're if you guys don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the city that they flooded and now it's haunted. Yes. It's Lake Lanier. She said she's been there. Did she go in the lake? She said that she felt the creepiness of it, like the, the, the hauntingness of it, and she did not touch the water. Good, because there's dead people in there. Yes. I can't believe, like, she could feel that. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people probably have a sense of that. Yeah. But... If you look on TikTok, there's a whole bunch of videos about it. See, I'm not, like, a cool kid and I don't have TikTok. You don't have TikTok? I don't don't have Snapchat. I don't have TikTok. Come at... I don't have Twitter. What do you do when you're bored? I mean, I like Instagram. And I just got... (laughs) (laughs) I just got um, Facebook back. I didn't have Facebook for, like, two months. Yeah. So, I don't know. I do that, or I watch a ton of, like, scary movies. <laughs> That's, like, my yeah my thing to do. TikTok's, like, my distraction. It's funny, because my friend Alexis is also pretty obsessed with TikTok, and she'll <laughs> send me videos, and I'm like, see, I get some TikTok in my life, just not constant. Yeah. <laughs> it's It can be addicting. Yeah, it's like two hours on TikTok. I don't want to go down that road because I'm already kind of addicted to Instagram. So I'm like, I don't need another thing. It's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel you. Well, um, that's it for me. Yeah, I think that's it for me for today, too. Okay, everybody have a great day. Yeah. Great week great rest of your week mm-hmm. let us know if there's something you want to talk about yeah send us in your own um stories yeah i love listener stories yeah i want people stories. to send us some listener stories yes please like us on instagram mm-hmm. uh rate review su- subscribe please yes please and um we love you yeah we love you thank you for listening to us bye bye All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love. If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at allthesinsofwi at gmail.com episodes of all the sins of wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts and don't Don't forget forget, we we love you. you